Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. We have some breaking news this evening. While much of the focus today has been on Fulton County, where Donald Trump will surrender in less than 48 hours, there are some big developments coming out of the federal indictment down in Florida in the classified documents case involving the former president. We are learning that one of the key witnesses in that case flipped after ditching his Trump-affiliated lawyer. Now, the witness is known formally in court documents as employee number four. NBC News has identified this person as Yusil Tavares, the IT director at Mar-a-Lago and a very central player in the alleged crime involving the retention of classified documents and the destruction of evidence related to that crime, particularly security camera footage. According to the special counsel, when Trump employee four testified before the grand jury in the District of Columbia in March 2023, He repeatedly denied or claimed not to recall any contacts or conversation about the security footage at Mar-a-Lago. Okay, so when employee number four, again, Yusil Tavares, said he knew nothing about any security camera footage, he had the same lawyer as Trump's valet and co-defendant in this case, Walt Nauda. And that lawyer, Stanley Woodward, was being paid by a Trump PAC. According to the special counsel, it appears that Mr. Tavares did not get to choose Stanley Woodward as his lawyer. Stanley Woodward was apparently appointed to him by one of the lawyers on Trump's legal team. Which is, wow. But after federal prosecutors told Ms. Tavares that he was facing possible criminal charges for lying to the grand jury about that security camera footage... And after prosecutors raised the possibility that having the same Trump-funded lawyer representing defendants and witnesses was a potential conflict of interest, well, the judge offered Mr. Tavares a chance to talk to a different lawyer about those conflicts, a federal public defender, not a lawyer paid for by Donald Trump or his PAC. And guess what happened? According to this new court filing from the special counsel this evening, immediately after receiving new counsel, Trump employee four retracted his prior false testimony and provided information that implicated Nauta, Oliveira, and Trump in efforts to delete security camera footage. That is what led to the surprise superseding indictment against Donald Trump and his co-defendants down at Mar-a-Lago, which was filed by the special counsel late last month. It is because a witness flipped the minute he was clear of his Trump world lawyer and gave new evidence that resulted in new charges, including attempting to alter, destroy, mutilate, or conceal evidence. Now, you would not be at fault if All of this is giving you a serious case of deja vu because time and time again, evidence and testimony has shown Donald Trump's propensity for using his team of lawyers to attempt to, shall we say, control the narrative. 
You might recall Cassidy Hutchinson, a former top aide to former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, who testified before the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Hutchinson told the committee that her lawyer, Stefan Pasatino, a former White House ethics lawyer with deep connections to Trump world, that her lawyer, Mr. Pasatino, sought to influence Ms. Hutchinson's testimony and urged her to downplay what she knew about the lead up to the Capitol riot. Ms. Hutchinson said Mr. Pasantino never explicitly told her to lie, but he did encourage her to use the phrase, I do not recall, and to tell investigators that she did not recall important events surrounding the Capitol attack. Ms. Hutchinson eventually hired new legal representation ahead of her public testimony. But like so many Trump associates, she was forced to face the question, when Donald Trump is paying your legal fees, who is your lawyer really representing? Joining me now is Donya Perry, a former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, and Andrew Weissman, former FBI general counsel and member of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, also co-host of the indispensable MSNBC podcast, Prosecuting Donald Trump. Donya and Andrew, I found this to be a shocking sort of revelation here, and I don't know whether I'm, I'm, I should put my eyes back in my head here, but... <laughs> The suggestion that a Trump-affiliated lawyer did not recuse himself or get off of this case for, A, a conflict of interest here, but that, B, the minute Yusil Tavares no longer has his Trump lawyer, he flips. How do you read this, Andrew? Um, so I think the, the reference to Cassie Hutchinson is such a good one because I think that it educates people on what is happening here in this case. But as Danya and I know um, and are jaded this happens in the special counsel Mueller investigation. It happened in Enron. It happened in organized crime cases. This is a standard problem when you are a prosecutor of house counsel mm -hmm. um, and the problem that money sort of buys influence. Now, just to be clear, there are some lawyers who can be paid by a company and they do their job. Yeah. They represent the individual and that's what they're supposed to do. But I'll give you one quick example in Enron. There was a junior person. The company paid for that person's counsel. When we finished the interview, I remember that person's lawyer turned to the general counsel of Merrill Lynch and said, it's been an honor representing you. Wow. And I remember going, that's the problem. But that's that's the issue. In that case, did the junior staffer not like sort of understand the dynamic at play? So that's you have to remember what's really hard for somebody who's not experienced with the legal system. They get a lawyer and the lawyer is giving them advice and saying this is what you need to do. And the company is paying for it and we're taking care of you. They don't have a reason to be thinking this is a problem where there's an issue and they have the company saying this is the standard procedure. You know, it takes somebody with sort of Cassidy Hutchinson's moral integrity um, here. The chief judge in D.C. interceded to say you should at least speak to independent counsel before you make a decision that you want to. That seems like a person. critical step. Absolutely. By the way, that happens in mob cases a lot. And of course, what happens is as soon as somebody gets independent counsel and advises them, the person's like, aha, OK, now I got it that this person may not have my best interests at heart. They may be passing on what I'm saying to somebody else. And yeah. there are all sorts of concerns. And that's why, you know, more often than not, especially when the government's saying there's a potential conflict, responsible counsel says, you know what, then I'm out. 
get somebody else. Well, the, the key phrase there is responsible counsel here, Danya. Stanley Woodward is still defending Walt Nauda. And there is the possibility now that one of his former clients, Yusil Tavares, will be testifying against one of his current clients, Walt Nauda, because they're taking opposite approaches with regards to this case. One is cooperating with the feds. One is not. So what is that? How, how does that work that Stanley Woodward can't be conflicted out of this? As well as, let's not forget, two other witnesses yeah. were at issue in this very same case and that were the subjects of the government motion for this, what's known as a Garcia hearing or a Curcio hearing. Different words for the same thing, which is a hearing in front of the judge where she will decide, first of all, will appoint independent counsel and they, the witnesses and defendants can decide, but she ultimately may have to make a decision as to whether there's a fatal conflict. Hmm. So Mr. Woodward, in this case, actually agreed, as he had to, that there should be such a hearing. What he then did was went on offense and said, actually, the remedy here, because it's for the judge to decide what the appropriate remedy is, and she has a host of possible remedies at her disposal, what he said, Mr. Woodward, is don't get me off this case. Don't get conflict counsel in this case. No, preclude the testimony of these witnesses. Of Yusil Tavares. That's Throw what out he thinks Yusil no, Tavares is the central witness in the superseding indictment, Andrew. On the obstruction. Yep. On the obstruction piece. Yep. That is a huge deal, effectively, that a Trump paid for lawyer, I got to keep saying that, someone yep. affiliated with Trump world is saying, yep. Don't take me off this case, even though my conflicts of interest are so plainly obvious. Get rid of the guy that's causing the conflict of interest. Yeah. So just to be clear, to Danya's point, that's not the law. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is one where um, obviously Judge Cannon has made a lot of wrong decisions. But this is one, if she were to rule that this is testimony that's precluded, she will be reversed. Um, that, that's not just a not very case, confident right? in that. Not a case. Th this is absolutely black letter law. No way that that gets suppressed because he has a conflict. Okay. Um, and there's actually different ways. Assuming she thinks that this is um, that he can still stay on the case. One way to deal with this is that um, Mr. Woodward cannot cross examine either a current or former right. client. Um, you have a continuing duty of loyalty. So one way to deal with that is to say that local counsel will have to do that. Um, but the other is... But that, I mean, you effectively have to wall off I, that local... I mean, how does that work? You know, you're you you're not a, a lawyer, case. but you yeah, are. It's like, I, I'm television <laughs> law school, but you, exactly. I mean, how do you wall off your co-counsel? I'm not going to tell you what I learned when I was representing Yusil Tavares, and I'm certainly not going to tell my the guy who's paying the bills what 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 may be going on here. So the, the legal system has not solved that <laughs> Rubik's Cube of sort of what do you do there? The assumption is you cannot use anything you learned from a current or former client so that the other counsel is walled off and has to do the cross-examination. Now, you can't, there's no way to police that. How, how is this not witness tampering, Danya? I mean, I, I just, on its face, for the layman, Donald Trump's PAC is paying for these specific co-defendants' legal fees, right? These, these lawyers are apparently encouraging their clients to take positions that are most beneficial to Donald Trump. Is it not witness tampering because these these co-defendants are willingly entering into these agreement with counsel? I mean, how how is this how is this allowed? Well, as Andrew said, um, we're both aware of and there are no doubt 
countless examples where one lawyer can ethically and responsibly represent two clients. Usually not when they're at such cross purposes. Um, that just becomes difficult. And a lot of lo- lawyers would recuse themselves in that event so as not to pit one client against another or risk the betrayal of confidences. But the law allows for that. The law also allows for you know, the, the, the top dog, the employer, whatever it is, the mafia boss to pay for counsel for his employees or um, his lieutenants. That is all allowed. The law presumes the ethical conduct of lawyers mm. who are officers of the court. That's the mistake. Presuming ethical conduct from lawyers. No, I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. besmirch all lawyers for everywhere. But that doesn't seem to be what's happening here. I will ask you, Andrew, as someone who has seen, you know, lower level defendants flip. If I'm Carlos de Oliveira or maybe even Walt Nauta in this case, and I see my buddy, Yusil Tavares, who allegedly was in the same room with me doing all this, flip after he gets his own independent counsel, is that not a catalytic event for getting those other defendants to flip? So I'll give you another example. So in mob cases, this is what happened with Sammy Gravano, the underboss of the Gambino family, when he's thinking, you know what? I know my counsel is really aligned in interest with John Gotti, the boss. So he got word to be able to go to the judge and say, I need to talk to an independent counsel. And I don't trust that if I go to my own counsel, that it's going to that I'm going to get the right advice Um, in that situation. It could be that I'll get killed if I say I'm thinking of cooperating. And that's the reason here you see that Judge Boasberg, the chief judge in D.C., got involved because um, this is one where the special counsel really looks so ethical and proper. They alerted um, the, the defense counsel. They alerted the judge overseeing the grand jury to the potential conflict. They actually alerted Judge Cannon in Florida so she would be aware of what was happening in D.C. Um, they say they did that in sealed proceedings. So they made sure everyone was aware of what was going on. And then Judge Boasberg did the right thing, which was to say, you know what, before you make a decision that as to what is in your interest, I want to see that you've talked to somebody who is conflict free. And they went to the federal defenders who are, you know, in our experience, are really wonderful lawyers. A lot of people think just because they're free, somehow they're yeah. not good. They tend to be really excellent counsel. Um, and that's what you saw happen. Um, and, you know, what you're putting your finger on and what is unfortunate is this is so common in any case where there is a crime that's committed by a group and there's a real hierarchy. Um, and it's just a, it's a real problem in the law. As I said, it's in mob cases, it's in corporate cases, it's in public corruption cases. I, I would assume, Danya, that the hierarchy really matters here because Trump's not paying for his lawyers legal fees in other federal indictments, presumably because the lawyer, the, well, they're on their own for whatever reason. But it's the precisely the people with no background in the law, the IT guy, the grounds guy, the valet, who he clearly seems to be trying to manipulate in terms of taking a less adversarial position. At some point, do the scales fall from their eyes? I mean, what's your assessment of how damaging this flip is to the other co-defendants in the case? As, as your question seems to imply, there can be a domino effect and a defendant could well see, well, this guy has flipped and he is 
actually not indicted next to me in this in this charging instrument. So maybe that was a good decision to get independent counsel. And, oh, now I see that this judge will appoint a federal defender or some other attorney. So let me explore that. That certainly happens. And that certainly can be advantageous for the one who's left behind. Yeah. Also, the federal public defenders are free, right? You don't have to take money from Trump's PAC to get adequate legal representation. If you're watching anyone out there, Donia Perry, thank you so much for joining me. As always, Andrew Weissman, we can never let you go after just one discussion. (laughs) There is so much more to come tonight, including the back and forth over the timing of the other federal case against Donald Trump. There is a big decision on that coming up. Plus, a lawyer who was once in the center of the campaign to keep Trump in power is now feuding with Trump world. And what that might mean for Trump himself is coming up next. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Will Donald Trump wear a MAGA hat to the Fulton County Jail on Thursday? Will he be handcuffed? How much will he weigh? Those are all questions online gamblers are apparently placing bets on ahead of former President Trump's scheduled voluntary surrender at the Fulton County Jail in Georgia this Thursday. You can even bet on which catchphrases Trump will post on Truth Social after his arraignment. So it is um, not an exaggeration to say there's a lot of anticipation around Trump's arrest in Georgia, which makes sense. A former president being booked in a county jail is not something that has ever happened here. You might even get a mugshot this time, which, considering his campaign is already selling fake mugshot T-shirts, Trump will probably spend a lot of time talking about. He is campaigning on all of this. Earlier this month, Trump claimed he just needed one more indictment, this indictment, to win the 2024 election. And tonight, The Guardian is reporting that Trump had his lawyers negotiate his booking at the Fulton County Jail to take place during primetime cable news hours, which would maximize the ratings for his arrest. So, yes, Trump seems to be weirdly enjoying all of this. But he is not the only only defendant here. He has 18 co-defendants in this case. And so far, they do not seem to be enjoying this. In fact, it looks like they are trying to resist every bit of it. Just today, former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows asked a federal judge to either immediately grant his request to move the Georgia election case to federal court so he could avoid being arrested this week 
or to require Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis to extend his deadline to surrender. Sort of an extension, like a term paper. Now, DA Willis has until tomorrow afternoon to reply to Mr. Meadows' request in a formal court filing, but she already told Meadows' legal team exactly how she felt this morning in an email. Quote, I am not granting any extensions. Your client is no different than any other criminal defendant in this jurisdiction. At 12.30 p.m. on Friday, I shall file warrants in the system. D.A. Willis means a warrant for Mark Meadows' arrest, if that was not clear. Now, Mark Meadows is not the only one trying to get out of all of this. Both David Schaefer, one of the Georgia fake electors, and Jeffrey Clark, Trump's former DOJ lawyer, both of them are also trying to get this case moved to federal court. Part of Clark's reasoning for moving his case to federal court and avoiding arrest in Atlanta was that Clark should not be required to book a flight to Georgia under such extreme time pressure. Now, it took us about 15 seconds to find a flight from D.C., which is where, where, near, where Jeffrey Clark lives, to the city of Atlanta. He could fly American Airlines tomorrow for $265. For Jeffrey Clark, a former partner at a major law firm, that does not seem like a great excuse to skirt arrest. But these days, who knows what Mr. Clark's finances are like? Mr. Meadows' lawyers put it a little bit more bluntly further down in his filing today, writing, prompt action is needed to spare Mr. Meadows the burden and cost of defending himself in state court. What is becoming increasingly clear here is that the legal bills in this case could be staggering, and it is unclear for whom Mr. Trump is willing to open up his piggy bank. Today, we saw the first of Trump's 18 co-defendants in this case turn themselves in for booking at the Fulton County Jail. Now, one of them was former Trump attorney John Eastman. NBC's Ali Vitale was on the scene and nailed down the question I would like to have answered by every Trump co-defendant. Who's paying your legal fees? I am. You are. Just you, sir. That's correct. It is clear that Trump and his co-defendants are all in need of a lot of cash at this precise moment. Even if you just look at the bail amounts that we have so far for Trump and his co-defendants, that is a lot of money before the case even really gets started. Those dollar amounts and whether Trump starts footing the bills could matter a lot. Take, for instance, former Trump lawyer Jenna Ellis, who is on the hook for $100,000 in bail alone. Last week, Ellis started a crowdfunding campaign on a Christian website seeking small dollar donors to cover her defense bills. So far, she has barely passed the amount needed for just the bail. And today, CNN reports that Jenna Ellis's lawyers met at Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis's office. Now, Jenna Ellis has not surrendered for booking yet, but she is having her lawyers meet with the DA's team. So my questions are, is Jenna Ellis flipping? And if so, given the financial pressure on her other 17 co-defendants, or 16, How long until we see others make a similar choice? I am joined once again by Andrew Weissman. Andrew, um, are we overthinking this one yet? Jenna Ellis in financial straits meeting with the DA before she surrenders. Um, I think we may be a little bit like over our skis. I mean, that it's definitely a possibility uh, that the biggest issue of like if I were counseling one of these people as independent counsel, not being paid by a Trump PAC, is that the window for cooperating is really now. Um, There is sort of a race to 
to come in. And if you want to um, sort of be able to tell a judge at sentencing, you know, I accepted responsibility and this is how I helped, it helps to be the first in, not the 17th in. Because um, you really want to say, you know, I broke the logjam. I did this. I was the one who, and yes, I did these wrong things, but here's what I did right to make it right. Um, and putting that off is, I mean, there are all sorts of things that could happen down the road that, for instance, if you want to give information about Donald Trump, well, what if he um, wins the presidency? You know, he's going to be out of the Georgia case, well, yeah. but you know what? You're not going to be out of the Georgia case because yeah. that case stays regardless of whether he or an ally becomes president. So if you're thinking about your window of sort of when you are most valuable to the government, it could be now. The time is not. Right. All right. There is so much more to talk about with Trump and his many, many, many indictments this evening, including some key questions about the timing of his federal criminal trial over the 2020 election. That's another that's another indictment. If you guys are following along here tonight and later, while some presidential wannabes in the Republican Party will be duking it out in a debate, others are crying foul saying they should be up there in the mix. We're going to have more on that interesting set of dynamics up ahead. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. By this time next week, a federal judge is expected to decide when Donald J. Trump will face trial for his attempts to overturn the 2020 election. Now, we know from a filing last week that if it were up to Trump and his lawyers, that trial date would be set no earlier than April of 2026. But that schedule is a non-starter for special counsel Jack Smith, who just fired back a response of his own saying the argument that Trump needs significantly more time to review discovery evidence is basically nonsense. Quote, the majority, or roughly 65% of the government's first discovery production, consists of materials to which the defendant has functionally had access, are, dupl are duplicative, or do not constitute Rule 16 discovery. And approximately 25% of the first production comes from entities associated with the defendant, suggesting Mr. Trump wants months to process information he himself provided. So by my back-of-the-envelope calculation, that accounts for 90% of the first batch of discovery material. And then there's this. Hundreds of thousands of other pages come from the National Archives, meaning that the defendant 
or his representatives reviewed them before the government received them or are publicly available, including the defendant's tweets, his truth social posts, campaign statements and court papers involving challenges to the 2020 election by the defendant or his allies. Nearly one million more pages came from the House Select Committee to investigate the January 6th attacks on the U.S. Capitol, a majority of which are already public in redacted form. The prosecution's argument closely mirrors that of MSNBC's very own Andrew Weissman, who today wrote in The Atlantic, millions of pages of documents is no reason to delay Trump's January 6th trial. Andrew Weissman, it's like it come, you're like Athena. No, you're like Zeus. And this is like Jack Smith is your Athena springing forth from your head. Okay. Um, pardon the belabored Greek metaphor. Um, but the 11.6 million documents argument that stack up as tall as taller than the Washington Monument right. doesn't seem to be holding a lot of water for special prosecutors. Talk to me about what the, the sort of citations of how much of this information should be already familiar to the defendant, what that actually means. Sure. So, you know, before I did um, the special counsel investigation with Robert Mueller, I was the head of the fraud section at the Department of Justice. What did we do? We did large white collar corporate cases day in and day out. That is its bread and butter over 100 attorneys doing large corporate cases. So when I hear 11 million documents, I don't think big, I think small. Do you? In, in civil and criminal litigation, that is not a large number. Mm. And, that, and that is before you get to all of the points that Jack made in his reply, which was it's duplicative, it's been available. There's, there's, but the main reason this is just not an issue in this day and age is we are not in the 19th century or the 20th century. We do not use pieces of paper. This is the, the land of like old time. Um, <laughs> old timey. Right. Um, everything's done by computers. It's done, you dedupe and get rid of duplicates. You do computer searches. You use AI. You then have discovery paralegals. All of this is done in a really fast computer search way, and it's targeted. Um, so that was basically his argument. I have to say, this is one where the briefs are really for the public, because Judge Chutkin knows this. Yeah. Um, any federal judge who is dealing with civil and criminal litigation knows that if you come in and say, oh, there's a lot of discovery. Yes, it, they want to know that you have time, but just pretend like it's hard copy paper that goes to the Washington Monument is not a serious argument for the court. It reminds me of a, a judge saying to a defense lawyer in the Mueller investigation, I know that that brief is for an audience, but it's not for this audience. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that they have a very strong argument. Obviously, though, the judge on the 28th has a really important decision, and the defendant is entitled to enough time to prepare an adequate defense. One other quick point. In the Eastern District of Virginia, the so-called rocket docket, it is commonplace to have trials in three, four, five months after indictment. Mm -hmm. That has never been challenged. It is understood to be within the due process clause is adequate time. So here, the time that's been proposed by Jack Smith is longer than that. So Judge Chutkin has that as an ability, knows that it will not get reversed, that it's within the due process clause. The real issue is whether she thinks it's going to be enough time and fair January to January 2nd is the date that the exactly. federal prosecutors have put. The reason 
you may see on your screens, it ain't Tolstoy is because that is basically part of the defense. This is like reading Tolstoy's War and Peace 78 times a day for forever or whatever it is. So there's a great line in The Atlantic on that, which I have to say my co-author had, which was, you know, this 78, it's like reading War and Peace 78 times. And he said, well, you know, after you read it once, (laughs) you don't have to read the other 77. Well, and that's the operative thing here is I don't, for a lot of people, I mean, on the outside, me included, we do not understand that you don't have to read every page of discovery, nor is it asking the defense to compromise itself by not reading every page. There's, these are electronic files that are scanned in a sort of efficient manner, shall we say. Exactly. And you do targeted searches where if you were looking for Weissman or you're looking for Alex Wagner, exactly, you would look for that and then you would read those um, and you have teams doing that. But the the days of doing page by page review of a document production that went out with the dodo bird. Okay. And the Trump team has said it's usually it's 29 point can be 29.4, I think, months between trial, the beginning of a trial and the end of a trial. Jack Smith has taken the air out of that balloon and also taken the air out of the notion that the classified documents involved in this would be a problem. And And if you noticed, he actually today said, let's have the classified documents hearing. To me, that's because they want get in front of the judge so she knows how limited that issue is. Um, because they know and for, for both sides, the 28th is the entire ballgame um, as to when the date is. And so they want to get in front of her what that volume is. They have already represented to her that this is a non-issue. This is not going to be, they said, we're not planning on using any classified documents in the trial, but they need to turn it over because they have discovery obligations. Well, I mean, as you said uh, in the camp, in the commercial break, August 28th is going to be the make or break. That is yep. going to be indicative of how this whole thing plays out. Yep. Judge Chutkin, a nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Andrew Weissman, thank you for hosting um, <laughs> the first half hour of this program with me. We can just change the My AW honor. to Andrew Weissman. Just saying, don't do that. Actually, that would put me out of a job. <laughs> no way. Um, thank you, as always, my friend. When we come back, these guys are desperate to get on the debate stage. Well, this guy, the front runner, is not even going to bother to show up. More on that next. The wait is over. We now know who will be at tomorrow's first Republican primary debate. These eight people you see on your screen right now have met the criteria to participate, which was a combination of polling requirements, fundraising thresholds, and signing a loyalty pledge to support the eventual Republican nominee. But there are at least three candidates who now claim that they also met all of that criteria but won't be allowed on the stage. One of those candidates is Fox News personality and former candidate for California governor Larry Elder. Mr. Elder announced today that he is actually suing the RNC for not allowing him to participate. And then there is Miami Mayor Francis Suarez, who previously said that any candidate who doesn't make the first debate stage should drop out of the race, which I guess is like sort of dunking on yourself. Businessman Perry Johnson claims he qualified for a spot on the stage but has been denied, and he's not making that claim alone. NBC News and other outlets, including Politico, have been tracking the process for qualifying for this debate, and by NBC's count and others, Perry Johnson does meet the criteria to qualify for this Republican debate. And yet, for some reason, the Republican National Committee disagrees. Now, if you are not familiar with Mr. Perry Johnson— You are not alone. 
the self-financed businessman has essentially been laundering his entire campaign through Newsmax. Perry Johnson has purchased a ton of political ads on Newsmax, and Newsmax has returned the favor by showering Mr. Johnson's campaign with coverage. They even gave Perry Johnson a reality TV show devoted entirely to following the Perry Johnson campaign. Semaphore News reports that when another candidate asked for more coverage on Newsmax, a network executive told him to buy more television ads on the network, noting that such a transaction had helped Republican businessman Perry Johnson, which is the literal definition of pay to play. But ethics does not seem to be a stumbling block for this crop of Republican candidates. In order to meet the RNC's requirement that candidates get at least 40,000 individual donors, billionaire North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum offered anyone who donated $1 to his campaign $20 in return. Now, that very questionable financial arrangement allowed Biden supporters to donate a dollar to Mr. Burgum's campaign and then donate their $20 proceeds directly to President Biden. By helping Democrats launder Doug Burgum donations directly into his opponent's pocket, Doug Burgum made the Republican debate stage. This is the mad, mad world of Republican debates. And yes, it is hard to see any legitimacy in this process. And that is before you even get to the biggest problem of all for this debate, the absence of the party's frontrunner. By all accounts, the RNC and the host, Fox News, have been begging Trump to participate in this debate. But not only has Trump refused to show up, he's also refused to meet the debate criteria. Trump has said firmly that he will not sign the party's loyalty pledge to support whoever is the nominee in November. What does it say about the state of this race that Trump is thumbing his nose at both his party and the television channel that helped make him president? We're going to have more on that with Brian Stelter coming up next. When the very first Republican primary debate of this presidential campaign gets underway in Milwaukee tomorrow night, the front runner will be missing from the debate stage, which is sort of weird. After all, Fox News is hosting the debate. And for months, Fox News has been on a campaign to convince Donald Trump to attend this marquee event. Remember that Fox network executives wined and dined Mr. Trump at a private dinner earlier this month on the on the very same night that he was indicted for a second time by the special counsel. All to no avail. Instead, the former president apparently taped an interview with Tucker Carlson, one that will stream on Carlson's Twitter program, his his ex program. It's hard for me to say that still on the night of the debate. That is the same Tucker Carlson who once called Trump a demonic force, a destroyer in private text to his former staff at Fox and wrote that he truly can't wait to ignore Trump most nights because he hates him passionately. Joining me now is Brian Stelter, author of two books about the relationship between Fox and Trump hoax and network of lies, which is out this November. He is also a special correspondent for Vanity Fair, and I'm thrilled to have you in person on this set. Great to be here. Thank Thank you. you Thank you for being here. First of all, Tucker Carlson, talk to me about that bizarre relationship. And is it just transactional? Why do you think he chose Tucker 
to troll the RNC? Well, number one, Tucker thinks he's better and smarter and savvier than Trump, a smarter strategist, a better politician. So when those texts came out earlier this year, Trump called him up. Trump was wounded. Trump was hurt. Trump wanted an explanation. But Tucker is nothing if not ruthlessly calculating. He understands that by aligning with Trump now, especially now that Tucker's on the outside of Fox, having been fired from Fox, he understands aligning with Trump is beneficial. It's going to get him attention. And I think ultimately that's what this is about for both men. It's about attention. It's about counter-programming. Tucker wants to counter-program Fox. He wants to stick it to his former employer, which, by the way, is challenging him legally, threatening him for being over on Twitter or X or whatever it's called. So they did tape this interview last week in Bedminster. It's in the can. They could post it right now if they wanted to. They're choosing not to because they want to counter-program the debate. And you made this point in our commercial break. It's not just the debate. The next day, Trump goes to get he goes to surrender in Georgia yes. in prime time. Which, if I were being called in to surrender, I would hide that, right? I would try to do it in the dark of night as quietly as possible. No one would ever know. But, of course, Trump wants to make it a prime time event. So it'll be two nights of counter-programming by the former president. And, and obviously designed on Thursday to take away attention from whoever is the quote-unquote winner of the debate on Wednesday night. Because there can really no, be no winner of this primary debate tomorrow Well, night. there can be no winner for any of it. But let, well, we, I digress. <laughs> yeah. did, did, do you do you think the trolling of the RNC and Fox is sort of, is it punitive in nature or is it more sort of directed to the party at large and all the men who and women who wish to dethrone Trump as presidential candidates? I mean, is it is it to show that he's the biggest guy in the room and that he can command the biggest audience? Or do you think he legitimately feels like he has a grievance with Fox News and the RNC? Well, a lot of these candidates are not polling very well, but some of them, you know, are, you know, the, the double digits, we could at least say, if we want to be generous. It's not as if Trump faces no threat at all from anyone in this field. He's clearly the dominant player. But uh, I think it's very clear he wants to take away attention from these other candidates as much as he can and from Fox. I, I've been speaking with dozens of sources inside Fox for, for this book that's coming out. And you know, it's very clear that the view of Fox staffers is that he, this is small, it, that Trump is being small, that by not showing up to the debate, by snubbing Fox, he is small, he is weak. That's how they want this to be perceived. But we both know the counter argument is very clear that Trump is so dominant, he doesn't even need Fox anymore, which is a big change from 2015, 2016. But he can't completely forsake them, though, right? I mean, he still, I mean, doesn't he need them? This is the network that helped him get elected, stay in office and defended the lies that he was spreading and continues to spread. I mean, do you think there will be any punishment meted out by Fox? They're not allowing Trump surrogates in the spin room after the debate. Is right. that the, the harshest pun- punishment that Trump gets for literally trolling them or undermining one of the biggest nights of their year? I, I don't see any other obvious punishments. Uh, you know, certainly they can spend a little less time talking about them around the margins. But right now I don't see that happening. I see the opposite happening. And, you know, the, 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 the polls are what the polls are. Fox hosts, they feel where the gravitational pull is, and it's still Trump. I mean, look, Trump's going to cut the debate ratings in half. That's a virtual guarantee. The ratings were 24 million back in 2015 when Trump was on stage, center stage, as you point out last week, insulting Megyn Kelly. 24 million. Fox will be lucky to have four or five million viewers watch this debate. And so Trump's you know, absence, it is going to be felt. But I think about Trump and Fox like a rubber band. <laughs> and as hard as one side pulls, sometimes Fox is pulling away, sometimes Trump is pulling away. Rupert Murdoch still hates the guy and wants to make him a non-person, as he famously said after January 6th. He's, Rupert Murdoch said, I want to make, we are making Trump a non-person. Yeah, well, one see how the, that went for one them. One of the most pathetic quotes I've ever read. Uh, but he would still like to do it. He just feels he can't because ultimately he's not a leader. He's a follower. So they pull apart like a rubber band. 
but yet they almost always snap back together. Now, rubber bands, they can break. They can I mean, break. They can break. Someday this relationship will break. But I don't see any evidence of that right now. I think there's so much tension, yes, but Fox's profits cause it to snap back. Yeah, well, as we know from the Dominion filing, I mean, they'll take a almost billion-dollar knee in the name of preserving the, the, the allegiance of the Trump audience. I do wonder if you think that there's anything about the debate that causes fear to ring out in the heart of Donald Trump, or at least a little bit of trepidation. The, I do, actually. What, what do you think it is? Is it debating Chris Christie? Is it confronting Mike Pence, the, the man who understood his plot to overturn the election? What do you think strikes fear in his heart? I think it's youth, vitality, the energy of some of these other candidates hmm. that he will not have to face. And look, there's going to be another debate in September. It's also going to be a Fox debate. Trump's also said he's not going to show up to that one. There's going to be these debates all fall and all winter with these candidates who are younger, who seem to have more energy, hmm. you know, who seem to be out there holding a lot more campaign events. Now, are they doing that out of desperation because they're not pulling as well? Yes. Donald Trump is continually faced with his age, with his mortality, with the reality of the, 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 his presidency being in the past. And I, I wonder if that's what he fears as he watches the debate tomorrow night. Because let's be clear, we both know he's going to watch every minute of it. Oh, absolutely. And he's going to live truth we, it. Live, yeah, live truth it. Live truth and then it. that will be repurposed on X. Exactly. Presumably. Who can know? It's all. And most people will just skip it. Well, I hope because they don't. Because they're exhausted. Yes. But, I but hope they're going to watch you. They are. I hope. Yes. We will be on the air tomorrow at nine and we will have special uh, post-debate analysis on this network at 11, which I hope people tune into. It's in my calendar already. Well, please. I hope so. And I hope to hear your perspective on all of it in the coming days and weeks, my friend. <laughs> it's great to see you, Brian Stelter. Thanks. Thank you, as always, for your wisdom. That is our show for this evening. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.